Uh, what is Runga? It started in the jungle of Costa Rica. All right, Joe, sir, what are we doing with your hair? What's working and what's not working? Um, well, you know, the length isn't working all that well. It's okay. kind of shaggy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we just need to trim it up a little bit, kind of make me look less. What? Um, I was thinking when, when I see hair like this, I think David Lynch. Yeah. It just gets really big and tall. Yeah. 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 Just a little bit more presentable, you know, probably half the length it is now. All right. Um, what is your styling routine? So you get out of the shower, your hair's wet. Mm -hmm. What do you normally do? And then I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to assume that's different than what you would do if you are, um, going to like an event or function. Yeah. So, um, my typical approach is this. Okay. <laughs> All right. No product. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, do you ever use product? If I'm going to an event. Okay. If I'm going to an event or a function, as you said, you know, I'll put some gel in it. And then even then, is it, is it gel or is it like you're just using the word gel loosely? Loose. Uh, it's, um, it's the white paste. Okay. The white paste. Okay. So that's white. Okay. Yeah. Got to go. And do you put that in when it's wet? Do you put it in when it's damp? Do you blow dry it? Do you towel dry it? Um, I put it in before I have to leave the house. So whatever, whatever condition, whatever, wherever your hair is at, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> this is, this is real life stuff. So this is good. Awesome. All right. So, uh, quick couple things, depending on how firm or how soft your paste is, mm -hmm. that's going to determine the hold. So this harder and more clay, like you're going to have a higher hold. Yeah. And if you're right. ever struggling with like, I wish my hair had more hold. Yeah. Um, you could swap out, swap out the product. That's yeah. one thing. The other thing you could do is get your hair more dry because yeah. water is going to be the great diluter. God, as we know. Like, so, uh, so yeah, so let's go through and let's get your hair all, it might be like pomade. Does that make sense? Is that yeah. a product? Yeah. yeah. Pomades. Yeah. Again, pomades and like white paste and clays are all, um, all usually they get used together yeah when the reality is that each one is very different <laughs> yeah. usually pomades have lighter hold higher shine okay um paste or somewhere in the middle or the end result is more sheen yeah. and then uh clays are usually more matte there are a couple products and brands out there that are the outliers where you have a pomade finish but it has really high hold and there's a brand called Layrite, and like they do that the best yeah um and then if you're looking for something like a paste i would do like the pureology mess it up because it works to give you that sheen and if you want in clay then the one i like is by um statement so that little black one so you have, you, have, you have three options if you like that shine go with lay right you want that sheen go with pureology and you want that matte go with clay god that statement god. all right so let's get your hairspray dumped and do that so you and i met through our wives mm -hmm. and we've had many conversations cutting your hair, but I want to know the one of how you got into doing what it is that you do. 
Okay. So yeah. I know it's health related. So I just want to know like your, how did that all happen? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'll give you the abridged story, but essentially when I was going to college, you know, I, I didn't do all that well in high school, had a real problem going to class and things like that. So, um, when it was time to go to college, I got into a, you know, local state school, but you know, I didn't have super high expectations, but it was sort of important to my parents that I go to college. So when I got there, I knew I wanted to study business. Um, but I didn't really know, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. And in the first semester, I started going to the gym, which had always been an interest of mine. But my roommate and I got super competitive. We were like the same weight class, same size. And we got super competitive in the gym, which made it fun. And, um, and what I ended up doing was I ended up majoring in business and minoring in exercise science. And, um, late in my second year, I ended up flipping those. So now my major is, uh, was exercise physiology. And, um, one of the things that was just super impactful about my college career was one of the first days of exercise class, my professor says that he's running a hundred miles. Wait, hundred miles. Yeah. I can barely one rock one, like from one. Right. Hey, and my understanding then around running distances was more about history, you know, the run from, uh, the run to marathon, right. The, the, the ancient Greek who, or the Olympics. Right. But the first marathon was, uh, a guy running, you know, kind of like a Paul Revere type situation. Okay. And he ran 26.2 miles to warn, I believe it was the city of marathon in Greece, um, of, you know, the invading Persians or something. And died when he arrived from exhaustion of running 26.2 miles. So my understanding was like the, the marathon was the peak, like the, that was as long as a human being could run without dying. And when he says, and he's a, his name's Jeff Godin, he's got like a super thick Boston accent. Cause that's where I went to school. He's like, yeah, I got a hundred miler. I'm running a hundred miler, you know, in a week. And I'm like, I was so kind of taken aback and I had to ask so many questions like, what, what do you, what do you mean? Like, you can't run a hundred miles. It takes hours to drive a hundred miles. Like, and so that, that created, like, it kind of gave me this like real curiosity as to what the body is capable of. And so I started running and he was like a mentor to me. I took almost my whole degree because it was such a small school. I took almost every class with him. And fast forward, um, in 2007, when I was finishing college, it was my final year, I started to have some health issues and, and these related to, um, I had a couple of bad accidents as a, as a kid. And, um, some of those kind of, we'll just say injuries kind of started to perk up and kind of like set me back. And so I had to kind of like shelve a lot of the fitness stuff I was doing. Okay. And it was right kind of at the end of college. And so after school, Jeff and I started to, you know, we kind of like lost touch for a couple of years. This is the roommate. No, Jeff's a professor. Professor. What was your roommate's name? My, my roommate's name was Andy. I don't know how I got those two confused. Who's a, Andy's a chiropractor now. He's a, in Connecticut. He's really successful at it and he's really great. Um, but Jeff Godin was a professor. We were really close. Again, I took almost every class with him. 
So after I graduate, we don't talk for a couple of years, but he calls me in 2010. I still remember exactly where I was driving. And he says, hey, I want you to come do this death race with me. Death race? I'm like, death race? You know, I hardly run anymore. I've been kind of on like this walking program trying to just get my health back. What do you mean the death race? I'm trying to survive here. I'm trying to like get my life back. Um, But essentially he's like, you know, this, you know, this guy. So what ends up happening? I go up to Vermont. It turns out that, you know, this death race was this 24 hour um, just, just suck fast up in Vermont at a guy named Joe's house. He had a large property and fast forward and, and that, so what's, what do you do in these 24 hours? So, well, the death race, that's a thing is it's essentially the opposite of an Ironman. So an Ironman, you, you swim, bike and run, and you know how long you're going to swim, bike and run for, and it's all in a day and there's people cheering. The death race was about no one cheering um, not knowing how long you're going to run for, not knowing how long you're going to do this activity for, you might have to do a hundred burpees or something right in the middle of the event. So there was no rules and it was literally just this whimsical thing. And it went on not only for 24 hours, but until 85% of the people that started it had quit. That's how, that's when the race ended. And it sounds like the most fucked up Le Mans racetrack yeah. cars, but for people like it, it's, it's, you break the car, you build it back. Yep. And you're fine. Yep. You break your body. Right. Rehabbing for months. Yeah. Yep. So the funny thing was, was the death race started to gain popularity. Uh Uh-huh. And Joe, who was hosting this miserable event on his mountain, on his property, said, what if we cut it down to 5K? And what if we kind of theme it around the ancient Greeks, bringing this full circle with the marathon? And that became the Spartan race. So, oh, shit. Yeah. So you you got to do the Spartan race when it wasn't even the Spartan race. Right, right. That's badass. Yeah, it's badass. Oh, so I've always wanted to do a Spartan race. Yeah, it's it's a good time. You should do it. And it's so great for kids now. And, you know, it's a scaled operation and it's safe and everything. So that kind of, um, I fell in love with just the physicality and it really gave me my life back because since 2007, I'd kind of been on not on the couch, but I hadn't really been training that hard. And there's a lot of lessons we could dive into from that experience. But basically, I got sucked into the vortex of Spartan for the next eight years. And, um, and what, do you, what do you mean sucked in? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, I ended up working with Joe and Jeff for the next eight years. Okay, so you, so you started actually just like working with yeah. that. Yeah. And no one, no one thought Spartan Race was going to do that. Like no one thought it was going to be, you know, two or three million people a year running in 30 countries around the globe. We were like, do you think 25 people will show up to throw spears and jump over fire? I remember it was probably around 2011, like something like that, mm-hmm. really early on. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was... I remember seeing something like on on YouTube or something. I'm like, somebody was like, can you believe they're doing this? It's like an Iron Man, but it's like crazy primal. Yeah, a primal Iron Man. Right. And I thought that was so cool. And I th- I love the idea. There was fire. There was like, you know, throwing spears and all this like primal caveman shit. Um, and I thought it was going to be a huge success. Yeah. So it's funny because like I saw this one, dude, this is going to take off because yeah. I think everything in life you get to a point where like the uh, absurd becomes the norm. Yeah. 
that's the reason I think UFC is popular because boxing now is just less brutal. Yeah. Than UFC. And then something else is going to come along that makes UFC. Now they just slap each other in the face with no defense. Have you seen that sport? Oh, they just, they just stand there yeah. and slap each other. I've seen it with tortillas. <laughs> it's seen a white. It's the UFC guy. Yeah. Now it's, I think it's called slap and they just stand there and just slap, slap each other in the face. Is there an arc to slapping? And there is because it's basically, you know, do you knock the person out or not? And then worried about getting punched in the nose. Now they're worried about being slapped now. Oh, it's just awful. And it's like, you know, I've seen a couple of these slaps and it's a, it's not just a slap. It's a total body. You know, it's like swinging a baseball bat without a bat. You know, it's like this total body, um, get the hips into it, smack this person right in the face. And it's like when they don't pass out, yeah. then the person that just slapped is like, oh shit. Like, you know, it's coming. it's coming. Yeah. So, so back up. So you're, you're, you're working for like the next eight years with Spartan. Yeah. And then what happens from there? So kind of, then I start running these kind of parallel lives because the spark of Spartan that I fell in love with, you know, there's so much, it's so interesting, like words are spells. And so for me, you know, if a doc says, like I had a couple like just idiot doctors that like gave me some pretty grim diagnoses, but I can see how people get trapped in the system okay. because if a doctor says, Hey, look, you're going to be Michael J. Fox by 30, which is literally what they told me after I okay. finished college. Um, because I had a lot of neurological stuff because I had too many concussions, fractured my skull. I had a lot of these crazy accidents. That's the scar. Yeah. That's that scar. Okay. Essentially, what's interesting, what was crazy about it was Spartan proved that you can break these spells. So, in other words, it's like when you, if you internalize a diagnosis or a spell and you let that run your life, it'll make you miserable. But what happened at Spartan is I've got, you know, now I'm crawling under barbed wire. I've got like, you know, barbed wire sticking out of my ass. I got like throwing a spear. I'm running through the woods. There was so, you were so present. And you didn't have any, unlike like running a marathon where you're just by yourself for three hours, four yeah. hours, you're, you're so immersed. And what I noticed is that my health improved, my mindset improved, my commitment to just living my best life just came back. And so it, it provided that spark. But the, the parallel lives that I mentioned, I still needed to do a lot for my health. Yeah. But my fitness was at least being taken care of the physicality. And that is sort of those two. And it was crazy that, you know, I kind of developed the founder of Spartans name is Joe DeSena. Mm -hmm. And this is what kind of actually gave me my interest in names, which we can talk about. Okay. Uh, but my name then I've changed my name since my name then was Joe DeStefano. Yeah. And that's, I, when I, that's when I met you. Yep. I became... Joe D.I. That became my name Joe because D. Joe DeSena, Joe DeStefano, everyone was confusing us. And so I just became Joe D.I. because he was Joe D.E. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so at the company, if someone says Joe. 20 heads to turn. Yeah, 20 heads turn. So, so I became Joe D.I., but I still kept my name and my, in my health stuff. So I did a TED Talk in 2015. <laughs> Um, around breathing and that was my full name but if you go on youtube and no. type in joe di 
it's this Spartan warrior guy that, so I, it, it's your alias. It's an alias. It's a, but it's a character too, you know? And, and I had this whole content series called ring the bell. Hey guys, what's happening? This is Joe DI. Welcome to ring the bell. I had this whole content series. And then on the weekends, I'd be, you know, on stage lecturing about breath work, about cold immersion, about, about other elements of health. Yeah. And, um, what I realized is that, you know, our names, our names essentially create a persona and a character and a vision of the world. So if someone called me by my full name, I know I'm in my health mode. And if someone called me Joe D.I., I know I'm in this physical fitness mode. It's interesting. And as I started to research names, it's, it's, it's wild. Like there's a disproportionate number of dentists named Dennis. Weird. There's a, an abnormal number of uh, Callahans living in Calgary. So our names get into the subconscious and we start to latch on to things that we don't even realize. Like, you know, why do you like the, the street you live on? Why do you work in the job you do? It's wild that your name can truly kind of pave the way for your decision-making in your subconscious. And there's a lot of evidence of this. And so I started to get intrigued by names, but that's, we can come back to that. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of the story. So this, this parallel running lives where I had this health brand, this health persona and this fitness persona and the health persona went and created Runga, which is my wife and I's current business. And the fitness guy stayed at Spartan until 2018 when the health business started to grow and I needed to kind of, um, spread my wings a little bit and go all in on the health and wellness stuff. So that's kind of the story. Uh, what is Runga stand for? Cause you're talking about names, mm -hmm. right? So I'm imagining if you're, this is just me like bullshitting or like shooting the shit on this idea. But like, if you're having this conscious understanding about names and how these names affect your profession or it could affect your outcome in your life. Right. And you're, and you're already knowing there's a mental switch like Bruce Wayne, Batman, right? Yep. I bet if you called Batman Bruce Wayne, you'd be like, what? And he'd be, you know, he'd be thrown for a loop. He'd have to reset. <laughs> he'd have to reset. Like, I'm not, but I am, but I'm not, you know? Uh, not right now. Not right now. That's at the philanthropy event. go to the Batcave. <laughs> then I'm Bruce Wayne. Um, yeah. So imagine there was probably a lot of thought, a lot of conscious choice in picking a name for your company. Because I don't want to say that's more important than your own name. Mm-hmm. But it's something that if you do right, it outlasts person. Mm. That's how I think about it, right? Like, think about Cadillac. Yeah. Or Ford. Like, Ford was just, you know, it's named it. Like, most companies usually start with naming after the person, like, like Ford. Yeah. Henry Ford created Ford. I don't know where Cadillac comes from. I don't know where Chrysler comes from. But, but regardless, we know the brand. We don't know the person who started the brand outside of, in my knowledge of Henry Ford, because it's Ford. I don't know. Maybe that was the same thing with Toyota. So if you're this cautious on it, what is like, what's it mean? Great question. Great question. So the Runga is now, you know, we do online coaching and health coaching and we have live events and gatherings, but it's clock buckles events and gatherings. Yeah. yeah. It started in the jungle of Costa Rica. So it began in a, even though it was health focused, it was still quite primal. Okay. So Runga is this word I invented that I came up with that, that just felt true. And the story is this, is that when Spartan, when we started, 
we knew it was going to catch on a little, but like we didn't know that in a couple of years, you know, we'd be on literally NBC Sports. We had a TV yeah. show right after Ninja Warrior. We didn't expect, you know, Reebok to write multi-million dollar checks to us. So um, the growth years from, say, 2011 to 2014, it was this explosive time where the company went from like a dozen people working at it to hundreds of people working at it. And during that time I was shacking up, you know, I was in charge of training at the time. So all of our, you know, content around training, we were certifying personal trainers to prepare people for the event. So I taught over a hundred workshops in 20 countries to, to educate personal trainers on like the demands of Spartan, like physically, energy systems, metabolism, how do you fuel, how do you prepare, how do you train? It's so much more complicated than a marathon when you have to, you know, do 30 burpees every five minutes when you fail an obstacle. And, and so I started educating on those demands and, and I was basically on dozen, I was on something like 70 flights a year, many of which were international. So I was totally burnt out, totally exhausted. And I've always had this belief since I started personal training back in 2000, technically 2004. I always noticed that after Thanksgiving through the end of the year, like it's just the Bermuda Triangle for fitness. So Mm, I agree. I I actually have a similar but probably different reasoning for that. But yes, I agree. Yeah. It's like, um, but in January, you know, gyms make 20 or 30% of the revenue for the year in the month of January. Right. And yeah. so as a personal trainer, it's funny how in December you, you end up, you know, most personal trainers work on commission and, and when you have a full boat of clients, it's great. But during that Bermuda triangle time, what I was picking up on is that, you know, I'm going to have a 10 AM and a 5 PM today. Uh-huh. And I'm only getting paid for two hours of effort, but I got to stick in the gym all day because I got these two appointments. And meanwhile, come next month, I'm going to have 12 hours a day of training. So and you're not going to have, and you're, you don't want to work either. if they wanted to, they probably could have even worked 14, 15 hours in January. Yeah, absolutely. And you can work as much as they want. Yeah. Full all nighters. So I basically was like, why would I work in December at all? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I rest up? Why wouldn't I just close shop after Thanksgiving until the new year, rest and restore, and in January come out swinging, you know, and not that I'm in competition with anyone, but while other personal trainers are struggling through the month of December and wasting so much time and energy in the gym and no one's in there anyway, like, let me just like rest up. So I had this belief that December was kind of this no man's land time. And so what happened at Spartan I just took that concept into, into Spartan where once we got through what became our, our world championship, but you know, we didn't put races on between Thanksgiving and Christmas either. Sometimes we had one in random the first week of December, but I wasn't really involved in that event. It was actually, it was actually in Texas. Um, so I was wondering if it was like Glen Rose. where the, the climate would probably be more desirable. Yeah. Glen Rose, Texas. Um, so, um, so when I, so, so Runga began the first week of December annually, it was a once a year event and it was in the jungle in Costa Rica and we moved it to Panama and Dominican Republic and moved it all around. But when 20, around 2016, I decided to give it a name and 
I was bringing down this yogi, her name is Jules, and she did this. She, she taught these brutal yoga classes. They were like, you know, and you never know how long the class was going to be. Like sometimes it was. So it's a death race yoga edition. Oh gosh. And it was, it was Bikram hot, uh, but it was like vinyasa power flow. Okay. So it was this brutal yoga class. And for those who don't know, I'm going to look in the camera. I'm going to break the fourth wall here. Bikram is yoga done in like crazy heat and crazy humidity. Yeah. Basically it's like a hundred degrees in like what 95% humidity or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And the Vinasa is very like fast paced. Yes. And it's very like a uh, workout. It's a workout. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it is a workout. So to have those two together to me is death race yoga. Yes. Okay. Cool. You are. I just wanted to like, Clarify that because yep. some people may not know. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and I've never done both together and I hope I never have to. <laughs> Gosh. It's like you are, you're, there's just a puddle on your mat at the end of her classes. It's crazy. But here's the thing is there is a, there's a pose in her class and in so many classes. Yeah. Uh, called ch Chaturanga. Chatur I've heard this. And Chaturanga is this push up, kind of pull your, you kind of pull your chest through your hands and you kind of do like a little bit of a, it's called like a Hindu push up. Okay. And what I realized in, in Jules's classes is that if I make it to Chaturanga without tapping out and quitting and like just going into Savasana early, if I make it to Chaturanga, I survive the class. I okay. did it. I'm from, it's downhill from Chaturanga. And one day I was in her class and I said, I think I'm going to name this event Chaturanga because my life is this yoga class. And when I get to Thanksgiving, it's Chaturanga. If I could just make it to Thanksgiving with these 70 flights a year I'm on, if I just make it to Thanksgiving, I survive the year and I can do it all again. And you know, it didn't take me long to go. Chaturanga is kind of cumbersome. Let me just trim it down. Runga, runga. Oh, that's a good. Chance. That feels good. Yeah, that feels good. And literally, the Can't first event. Chance. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was gonna stick. And the first event, like almost on the first day, people are like, "It's a. Why do you get in cold water? Oh, it's a runga thing. Why do you put coconut oil in your coffee? It's a runga thing. My runga tribe. My. It just like it was like wildfire. It was like contagious. People loved it. So I started selling t-shirts. You know, I have all these like funny t-shirts that I, that I made in the beginning, early days. They said like, you know, one of them said, I'm here for the Savasana, which is like that end of the yoga class where you just lay down and do nothing. And then I had everyone, you know, was on a paleo diet. Yeah. So I had one that said gluten for punishment instead of, instead of glutton for punishment. So the t-shirt started to like go bananas too. And humor is also like a really great marketing thing. Yeah. Like those puns are great. Right. The one I have on now has been around for a while. It says today's the best day ever. I actually saw that shirt and I was like, I, um, I was like, I was going to ask you where you got that. Yeah. It's ours. It's I, our staff shirt now. We need one in a medium. Yep. I'm serious. You got it. Right. You got it, man. All of our events, we staff our angels. We, we have this amazing crew of just incredible people that we call the angels. And, Every day they wear a shirt that says today's the best day. Well, it, but like, okay. So like that actually kind of, 
I, it goes along the line with like people asking like what my favorite haircut is. And I say, it's this one. Yeah. And people are like, you're, oh, you're just saying that, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is like, if I don't think that this is, if I'm not excited cutting this hair, it's going to show. Yeah. So I have to, like, this has to be my favorite haircut. Right. Not by force, but by, by like desire. Right. This should be my favorite haircut I'm doing because there's also the other phrase, you're only as good as your last haircut. It's not the haircut <laughs> of the day. It's the haircut yeah. that client leaves with. Yeah. So this isn't my favorite haircut. It's not going to be your favorite haircut to walk home with or leave right. with. So when I saw that shirt, best day ever, it made me think like, um, this is my favorite haircut. Yeah. So right on, right on, man. Sorry to get all. No, it's, I love that. It's like such a good. It correlated in my head. It, it's such. I ponged around and it got there. It keeps you in the present. It's, it's like, you're not resting on your laurels and you know, you know, you're not that haircut. You're not that, um, that person that's like. How many people like, it's like the, it's like the guy that can't like get over his high school football career. It's like, I don't sit down and you're like, in 2016, I gave a haircut that was just, but you know, yeah, it's amazing. It's like, you know, move forward, dude. Like don't rest on your laurels. Let's make this the best haircut ever. Yeah. I love that. There's actually a documentary that's like really similar to that. Have you seen the Jiro dreams of sushi? No. Okay. Um, it's about a the only three-star Michelin sushi chef in the world. Wow. It's like a, yeah, it's like eight bar stools in the subway of Tokyo. Right. And he's 80 something years old or whatever. Michelin in the subway, huh? Exactly. Three stars. Only guy who has this. Well, I'm going to summarize it. It's like he talks about sushi and he's like, today I made the best sushi of my life. And tomorrow it's going to be better than what I did today. Right. Like it's that same idea. Like every day is a new day to improve, right. which would be the best day ever. So, you know, so like what gets into purpose and Dharma, which is something we teach a lot about in our online coaching programs and this, you know, it, it's funny, right? Like personal training as an example, cause we're talking about it. It's this funny thing where there's millions of people go get a personal training certification and there's only, you know, maybe a hundred, couple hundred thousand personal trainers. Right. Yeah. And the, because it seems like this opportunity where, you know, you get paid pretty well and, you know, you kind of count reps and you, you like health and fitness so you can do it for others. But what ends up happening, you know, the life expectancy of a personal trainer is like a year max, might even Why? be six months because it's a tough job. Like it's, it's challenging to, if someone, you know, I always taught that, you know, everyone's got to be a hundred percent. So if the client walks in the door, at 50% because they're tired from their job and their family and their kids and all that stuff, the trainer now has to be 150%. Awesome. So in other words, like there's an energetic exchange in that type of environment and in that relationship where if the clients are coming in less than a hundred percent, the trainer's got to make up the difference. So if you talk about doing that five, six hours a day, yeah, weekends, you know, get gaps in the middle of the day. As I said, everyone wants to work out before work or after work. So if you're not super, if you're not that sushi chef that is so passionate about not only writing programs, but delivering them and keeping high energy and, and, and picking up where the client is lacking emotionally or energetically, yeah, it can be a really burnout job. So, you know, the life expectancy of a trainer is quite short. And, um, and part of that, part of that, Part of what I would teach is that a lot of people that are in the, that burn out 
it's because of instead of five years of experience as a trainer, you have one year of experience repeated five times because they just kind of, it becomes groundhog day and, yeah. and they go on auto and that burns you out. But this sous chef or this, this sushi chef that um, is looking at tomorrow is going to be even better than, to, than today. He's constantly evolving, constantly growing, constantly learning, which is which is how you know when that comes naturally. It's how you know you're in your dharma, it's and it's how you know you're in your sacred duty, the the thing you're supposed to be doing on this planet. Because you know, we teach kids you can be anything. You can be an astronaut. You can be a carpenter. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. But the truth is, there is a calling for everybody. There is a, a divine purpose. There is a perfect job for each person yeah but sometimes conditioning pushes us to be a doctor or a lawyer because we'll make more money and go to this school because our parents went to that school and we we lose that dharma a lot i also think uh geographical locations and accessibility to things that are outside of your community mm -hmm. are also a huge factor yeah. so, i mean that's the whole story i left the small town because i knew there was nothing here for me right they looked around and said all right I did the same thing. I was like, there's nothing in this small town I'm in for a salon. Nobody gets me. I don't get them. Yep. These people seem like I'm going to click with them. Yep. And you don't know until you do it. Off to la la land. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. And so, and that's courage. And it's also a testament to, to some extent, how you were parented. To some extent, mm -hmm. the freedom your parents gave you where you knew you could choose. You know, you weren't offending them by leaving, you know, there's, there's so much tied to our decisions to how we're parented. And so you didn't, you didn't see because you must've had good parents, like you didn't see yourself as a victim that there was nothing for you to do in this town. You saw an opportunity to leave and go find your people. Yeah. And also my, also my whole upbringing was really like a, I could do pretty much whatever I want. I never had a curfew. Right. Um, but there was really just two rules. Uh, one rule was my grades couldn't go down. Like mm -hmm. I had to keep a particular GPA okay. uh, and that particular GPA also correlated to lower car insurance. So yeah, so at least State Farm at that mm -hmm. time. So as a, as a 16 year old male, particularly supposed to be high risk wildness. Interesting. If I kept my GPA above a certain thing that I got like this good student discount, right? If it fell below, my insurance would go up. My parents said no car. So wow. I was like one incentive because, you know, you're 16, yeah. you want to, you want to move, you know, you got wheels, you got to go, yeah, man. you got dates, you, you got events, you got whatever. The other one was don't be an asshole, <laughs> which is like, if my attitude changed, sure. right. And, and, and it, or I just started, you know, getting in trouble or, or whatever it was like the, don't be an asshole was like this massive umbrella for like, look, if you start hanging out with the wrong crowd, it's going to show. And then if that happens, you know, domino effect. Yeah. So it was just really two simple things. Don't don't be an asshole and keep your grades up. And with that, I was able to pretty much have carte blanche. That's it. And don't you love how so wise people, like perhaps, you know, we'll say your dad, can can distill <laughs> All the ideas, all of, because there's, there's, there's 25 rules within those two rules. Exactly. And it's sort, you know, like Einstein had to do a lot of work to just spit out E equals MC squared. <laughs> it's like, so the, he, there's, there's some, 
you are taking on a lot of responsibility. Like, and it's funny because at Spartan Race, we had a rule, don't suck. Like, yeah. And so it's this, well, oh my gosh, like there's so much interpretation, but there's so much, just don't be an asshole. Yeah. Like you take that to your haircut, you take that to the grocery store, you take that to your job, you, yeah. and, it, and it guides you in a way where your dad you know, maybe if he wasn't as wise, he would have had 25 rules. And it's like in, in haircuts act this way and at work act this way. And at, but just saying, don't be an asshole is a language you spoke at 16 and it, and it carried the weight of, of, you know, all 10 commandments. Or yeah. And, and, I, and I started finding out ex very quickly what don't be an asshole meant in certain situations. <laughs> Like, oh, there's degrees of freedom there. Well, yeah. That follows. Now that's under the umbrella. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I thought I was okay on that one. Right. Oh, that also falls into it. Oh, okay. gosh. You know, um, like staying, I, I, I was staying out till like sometimes in my senior year, I was staying out till two, three in the morning, going to concerts, playing with my band up in LA or just going to a concert, let's say. And instead of staying out till two or three, like I had friends who were like latchkey. They yeah. could just do whatever they wanted. The parents they never knew if they were home or not. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, let's say I was at a concert, concert was over and I said like, Hey mom, uh, the concert's over, but I think we're going to be able to hang out with the band afterwards. Yeah. If that happens, I'll call you and let you know, and you'll expect me home at two o'clock. Yeah. And as long as I had that communication, that was another thing that also acknowledged don't be a don't be an asshole. It'd be an asshole loop to not leave your mom, to leave your mom hanging. That would be making yeah, an asshole. She's like, okay, did he, is he in a car accident? Yeah. Something happened, you know, and, and that's an, that's an asshole move. Right. So I kind of think about those two things now as parents, which. I think that whole conversation will be a whole other haircut. Yeah. We'll talk about that. But, um, so anyways, the, the rules, the don't be an asshole, the Dharma. Yeah, man. It's, um, but you were, you were, um, I want to get back into the, uh, so, um, shoot, what was it? It was like the, the whole, you were talking about, we we're talking about the best day ever. Yeah. We're talking about t-shirts. Yeah. You're making all these shirts for rumming. Yeah. 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 So I just wanted to back it up a bit. Yeah. Um, well, a fun exploratory conversation. That's right. So you're making these shirts, making people the shirts. Are, people are getting into the name Runga. People are digging it. And, um, over the years I identified that our product, like the service we were actually creating for people wasn't like, you know, the, the jungle, it wasn't the beach in the Dominican Republic. You know, we had some events, we rented this palace, literally this palace in the Dominican it was freaking crazy. But what we identified was the beach and the beauty and the nature. We I love nature still. I shouldn't say that. But it was a little bit of a distraction. Okay. Because when the, the, the true product was a higher sense of self and a sense of community. Yeah. And being on a beach and being in a far off destination meant you not only needed to use your vacation days, but you were on vacation. Yeah. And so things like alcohol consumption and elements of being on vacation that actually detracted from at times, I'm not saying having fun detracts, but as we started to realize that we were a very, it was, it was about mindfulness and connection. Yeah. And why we took it home back to the U S was, was to control things like food quality and some of the elements that were really challenging to, to, to get right abroad consistently. Yeah. But what we realized is that this product 
would be would serve people better being requiring less sick days so in other words less days off work so let's tighten it up to three or four days instead of seven or eight yeah and let's make it accessible so some people don't even have to fly okay and they can just come in for three or four days and the current product is feel 10 years younger feel connected have new friends belong to something larger than yourself nourish yourself with incredible nutrients you know in our current events they're very they're high-end events they're premium events but people are coming in and they're leaving 10 years younger they're spending hours in hyperbaric oxygen chambers to completely revitalize their cellular body they're eating incredible food they're getting peptide injections anti-aging injections that are just open bar and a la carte it's just this powerful experience blends all of that therapy with mindfulness connection events where you get to know people of course some health and fitness stuff we we do kettlebell training sound baths gong baths so there's sort of the 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 best wellness retreat you've ever been on combined with some of the most high-end services and modalities that exist so it's kind of like going backward and forward at the same time it's like you're bringing in the ancient traditions of sound healing sound bowls meditation mindfulness with modern injectables and hyperbaric oxygen chambers and things like that so well, I think that's, that's kind of where we really ended. I think that's cool because I actually think that like, um, like some of these things, these, uh, like, you know, primal ancient medicines, these shaman things are finding out that like some of this stuff is kind of useful. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like a lot of shaman would use psilocybin, right? Like mushrooms. Yep. And we're finding out that this is a really effective way of treating PTSD, depression, yeah. um, and you know these things just you know they grow out. Yeah. Uh, they're everywhere. Um, but like we're just starting to like kind of I think crack the code of that because what you're what you're doing is like you're using modern science. We're using today's latest technology, but we're also finding out that some of these like you know hippie things. Yeah, I call it hippie stuff. Are also. Uh, it's like, I remember reading a, a thing about like why chicken noodle soup is effective against cold. There's something with the chicken broth that like the way it's structured, and I'm probably butchering it, but it was like, it's related to an enzyme that's quite similar to like penicillin or something like mm. that. I remember reading about this, and I, this was like years ago. Now I don't know if what I read was true or not, but if it was true, let's just say that like, for sake of the article, it was argument. Then you kind of go like, oh, some of these old wise tales do have some substance in them yeah. and i think what's what sounds cool about your event is you're you're finding look these things do have substance yeah yeah it may seem hippy dippy but like there's a there's an actual purpose because now science is able to start cracking uncracking these codes of more more stuff well there's the it's funny like people these days yoga as an example has been around five thousand years but some people needed to see proof before they would take a class. <laughs> like, like they need to see the science. Need to see the science, even though you know people have been doing this for for so long. And you know, and we've we've thought about dropping psychedelics into our event, but our event doesn't really need it. It already creates the profound change people need. Um, yeah, no, I'm not saying you would do that, but using that as an example, because well, it's a great example because um, you know there's reason to believe that. Everyone from Plato to Leonardo da Vinci were using psychedelics. Uh-huh. And 
that's what we call the first wave of psychedelics. Those, you know, illusin, illusin, illusin. I can't say it. Eleusinian, Eleusinian mysteries that are spoken about. You know, there's a reasonably good chance that that was a very ceremonial um, crew they had, they were bringing together. So, and then you have like the 70s where, you know, Albert Hoffman invented LSD in 1938. And then there was actually some pretty significant research that was cluing us in that substances like mushrooms and LSD we're curing depression and and doing amazing things for people. And then the sixties and seventies with, you know, Timothy Leary and they just went bananas. So this, this, and then we had the war on drugs in the seventies and eighties. So this current wave of psychedelics, you know, MDMA is a Molly ecstasy party drug, but it's in phase three trials with the FDA right now to treat veterans for PTSD. Yeah. No, no, and, um, it's it's wild. So now it's like this. Okay, the seventies things went sideways, but now they're you know trying to get the these medicines um, where they need to go in a way that's you know that's actually helpful. So, um, but anywho, yeah. So um, that's kind of the journey. And so now over the last couple of years, um, using fitness instead of the primary driver of transformation for people like I did at Spartan, it's now woven into all that I do in a much more healthful way. So in a way that, cause a lot of times people get fit and realize they're still not healthy or they get fit and they still have a, you know, God shaped hole in their heart or something. It's like, so fitness is a, is a tool in the tool belt of health and wellness, mm -hmm. but, um, and it can overflow like at Spartan race. If you go all in on your fitness, it can overflow and make you healthy and help you stick with the diet. But now our, our sort of approach to fitness has evolved quite a bit at Runga with our coaching programs and such. That's cool. Yeah. When's the next one? <clears throat> well, next one, well, we've got, because we do a lot of private corporate stuff. So we've got 10 event days between now and October. And mm -hmm. then, but those are all private offerings. Um, and our next public event is in October in Austin, Texas. So that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man. And then we have, you know, the online coaching program, which runs three times a year at 60 days. It's called, what is, what does that focus on? It's called momentum. Okay. And it is this 60 day program where you kind of architect and dream up the life you want and take strides to get yourself closer to it. So it's, uh, you know, eight weeks, first four weeks are about building a life and a living structure okay. that affords you the ability to accomplish more than you're accomplishing now. So in other words, understanding the, the means paths and ways to basically exceed expectations at work while exceeding expectations at home, while exceeding expectations with your kids. And this is sort of built on my life, you know, running multiple businesses, traveling kids, family, juggling everything. I kind of created a pretty nice structure for it. That's based on the 20 years I've been working with people. And then the last four weeks are really about finding Dharma about connecting with your purpose yeah, and taking strides to, to make it a reality. So when the program ends, it's kind of like the first four weeks are the, uh, it's kind of like what I would call in a word talking about distilling, distilling things down to simple truths. Yeah. The first four weeks are ready. Yeah. The second four weeks are aim, mm -hmm. and then the program ends and you fire. Okay. You, you go get it. 
How's this feel? Great, man. How's the, the top? Is it too long? I think it's great. I'll be running your hands through it because that's usually how we know if, it, yeah. if it's good or not. No, it's, it's perfect. Right. It's perfect. This is exactly. So this is, this is how I do my hair in the morning. Hand, pull. There it is. <laughs> Ready, and Let me get the, the neck shaver face. Perfect. You have like a, a neckline that like comes it's crazy. up and then down. Yeah. So I'm hoping my kids don't get that. Well, you, you just never know. It's like, yeah, the back of my head grows in every different direction. It's actually not that bad. It really isn't. You, I mean, you have two calyx versus the, what I call the devil's triangle where you get three and, and then they go in all different competing directions. Yeah. And of course the individuals who usually have that all want a haircut that that stuff doesn't work. Um, for you, for you, it's just about making sure that we don't, like, I just create a nice little outline, but I don't take it too short. Yeah. So like the, uh, and I, I would say like younger version of me, I would have been really intimidated by seeing this, but instead I'm just like looking at where your hairline stops right by your mastoid process. That's that little bone behind your ear. I'm just going to continue that line down Yeah. versus trying to like fade this up yeah. because it already pulls up. So I pull it down and I take it shorter. It's going to look like a skin fade. And then you're going to have like no hair. And then you're going to have like this weird little point, like a little yeah. peak, but in the back of your head. So just by creating my own little line, like you need the hair there, but we need to, after this, I need to go through and like actually take out some of the density, if you will, yeah. in the center. So that way, the sides don't look as hollow as they they would appear only because all that hair is getting forced because of the growth pattern into the center. Yeah. So it's like really misleading because it's probably one of the more complex necklines to work on because if I just, like right now, I just took a straight line just to clean it off. Yeah. If I leave it like that, it doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, I have to go through and use a multi-tooth scissor that once I have the little holes in them, yeah. but like a really, really refined one. So yeah. that way I don't take out any huge chunks of hair where it looks now like now there's a hole. Right. So if you slipped out, why do this? That's why you get paid the big bucks, man. Well, big bucks for relative, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're charging $10 a haircut, 20 sounds like big bucks, you know, <laughs> but, but no, but it's, you know, it's not unusual that I get a haircut and I look in the mirror when I get home and I'm like, <laughs> never by me, never by you. No, no. I mean, my past, not since I've been coming here, awesome. but when I used to be on the road all the time, as I was telling you earlier, I would just end up in like the, the strip mall franchise the haircut place yeah and i would almost always leave like i don't know if this is better or worse than what i walked in with <laughs> yeah no that's I, I i heard of that with 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 guys who would do a lot of traveling like my male clients over the years yeah and so what would happen is i would give them very specific instructions i'm like look yeah. if your travel schedule doesn't allow you to see me before your next travel, yeah. whatever that may be. Here is what you can do yourself. Yeah. Or you're going to go into said salon, yeah. barbershop, 
and tell them to do this very, very specific thing. Right. Especially the one thing I, I think hairdressers should do is give our clients like some very helpful things. Like, look, if you can't get into me yeah. and you need your bangs cut or you need this done and mm -hmm. you, know, you can't see me or I can't see you, whatever it is, yeah. I always try and make it work. But these are the things yeah. you need to, to keep in mind. And here's how I would explain it uh, because as a hairdresser, these there's like lingo. Yeah. And most of us uh, speak a very similar lingo. It's just not, um, we don't all use the same terms for everything, but it's pretty close. Yeah. I imagine it's like Spanish and Italian. There's certain things that are exactly similar, then there's a couple differences. Yeah. But uh, everybody I know who speaks Spanish understands Italian, and everybody I know who's Italian understands Spanish. Right. And I view like hairdressers are the same way. Like, oh, I call that slice, and well, I call that channeling. Okay, well, now we know. Yeah. You know, just show me the maneuver. The best are the old timers, the old time barber shops, yeah. where everyone gets the same haircut. <laughs> I've been to some of those. I went to one of those in Palm Springs once. My wife and I went to. A week, we just spent a weekend when we lived in LA and I was like, Hey, I got to pop into this barbershop. Guy didn't even ask me what I wanted. He just like got to work on just like the last guy. That's great. That's pretty hilarious. Maybe that's why people come to him, you know? Yeah. You know what you're getting? Except I came out like it was my first day in the Marine Corps. High and tight. <laughs> my wife is like, what in the world? You could probably rock a pretty good high and tight. You bring a hat. You bring a hat, yeah, except for that huge scar on my head. Yeah, yeah, you would. You, let me see. I usually keep a little bit of hair on there. You know, I know you could keep okay. This it looks like a part, that's the thing. No, 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 like you could do a high and tight right, right. up to here. You could do that. You, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, it would take care of this graying problem I've got. No, actually, what it could do is it could actually make like if you go any shorter, so the more your hair loses its color and yeah. it starts to become you know more translucent for lack of a better term to so not offend people <laughs> I, I'm so that's the not offensive term yeah i think so <laughs> white gray translucent's worse i think just call it what it is yeah well you know <laughs> look another term i had clients say go see my sparkles yeah, oh, yeah. so like the more you, you get the the lighter hair coming through, the more the hair is changing color. The lighter hair coming through. The there we go. Is it can also make it look like like you have. To, I have to be careful to not take it too short mm. because then what happens since there's no light will go through the hair and then it all looks bald. Looks bald. Yeah. Bald. So like on people who are wearing yeah. blonde, uh. you don't have to go as short for it to look. Almost yeah. like a skin fade. Got it. Got yeah. It. Yeah. See, that's you're gonna have a whole new issue of like you may actually start wearing your hair a little longer. Yeah. If this continues all over. Yeah. Because you're not gonna want to take it right now. You have enough depth in there where it's not an issue. But if it becomes more and more white all the way through and yeah. on top, you may be like, you know what? I might take this a little shorter. I might leave the sides a little longer. And that's why I always find that you find guys who have a full head of like white hair. They all have a very similar haircut. Yeah. Because if you take it a little too short, it looks like they have no hair. Right. And uh, when you reach whatever age it is where you get a whole head of naturally occurring white hair and uh, you have a full head of it, you, those are bragging rights. Apparently I've heard, I've had clients say like, look, I have a full head of 
you know, white hair. I want people to know I have hair. And if we take it too short, I look bald yeah. on the sides. And I don't want to look like I have a, what's that rockabilly term? Uh, white walls, like, mm-hmm. like the, like, uh, the, like a tire, white walls with a, oh yeah, like yeah. the 50s, 60s, uh, my Chevys. Yeah. They call them white walls. Yeah. The white walls. I used to swap cheese. I need to break that up. I just joked my wife that that's because you sleep on that side. That's why that side's getting so great. <laughs> well, um, I've gotten older. We're all getting older. Yep. I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, I think there's, I mean, who knows, right? Who knows what? If it's, it was just in my destiny that some of this was going to go gray, or if it's like having a three-year-old and <laughs> like jobs and work and busy and sleep. And- well, I actually think everyone has aged a little bit faster due to the year of 2020. Okay. I think we all went through like one dog year. Yeah. Because I look from like 2019, the end of 2019, and I look at the end of 2020, I look at photos of my own self, and I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I don't look as rested yeah. as I did. But now from 2020 till now, I don't really feel there's been much of a shift. Right. I think that the uncertainty of that year really played a huge factor on everybody. Yeah, I think so, I think that that is accurate. It's like, have you seen these... Uh, the images of people who go to war and they, yeah. I mean, we know about it with presidents, but yeah. like to see like enter the war and right. like the exit, it was like four years. Yeah. It looked like yeah. 30 on yeah. some people. Yeah. It's nuts. Hey, let's get your eyebrows. Okay. Yeah, man. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. You gotta get these guys. So I was, I'm reading, um, I think it's called blitzed. Okay. Real relaxer. Don't, don't do that, please. When you do that, it actually arches the eyebrows and then I can end up creating bald spots. Yeah, we don't want that. Please, I don't want bald spots on your eyebrows. Okay, one eyebrow done. Go to the other one. So Blitz. this book is called Blitz, and the subtitle is something to the effect of drugs in the Third Reich. Okay. And it's insane. So basically... The entire German army was addicted to meth. And yeah. it was being promoted. It, w- it was a medication, but I'm I'm fairly certain it seems like it was even maybe over the counter or or whatever. But the soldiers were not sleeping. They were just messed up and heavily addicted yeah. to you know, I keep wanting to say pro vigil, which is a modern medicine, but it was called the meth was called like, you know, something like that, some pharmaceutical name. Okay. And yeah, the amount of methamphetamine, like, yeah, those soldiers aged 10 years and four years is my guess. Just it's wild to hear the accounts and read about it. I, uh, I remember hearing about that and I'm not sure if for certain, but I remember reading or hearing something that like the inspiration for Mad Max Fury Road where those soldier guys would snort that stuff was inspired by what a lot of soldiers would do. I think certain ancient uh, armies would do that. Yeah. Also more recently, mm-hmm. 
the uh, the Third Reich would have that with the methamphetamines. They get yep. all hopped up and hyped up, and they don't feel anything. Yep. They're not thinking clearly. Totally. And it's like the best mindset you want for if you are leading an army yep. to just run without thinking right. and just fight. Right. Yeah. And and that's the thing is meth came after cocaine and heroin. So like basically, and I don't quite remember the order, heroin might have been first. And it was like, okay, heroin. But that was like opium. Opium. The opium dense. But I think it, yeah, I'm pretty sure they call it heroin in the book. So it's like they were giving it to kids for teething and shit. Like it, crazy. That would definitely um, stop the uh, the crying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That that's like bringing a nuclear bomb to right. like, get rid of the ant yeah. in my backyard. Right. Yeah. Just getting chemotherapy instead of a haircut. Um, the that was what that was what that line I just said was from Michael Jackson's um, doctor when he described Michael Jackson's like sleeping pills and drug use. The one who that killed the propofol. Yeah. Yeah. They, he said something like. The drugs he was taking to sleep were, would be the equivalent of getting chemo instead of a haircut. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was like a horse pill or something. So, um, but anyways, the way the book was kind of outlined, it's like, yeah, like heroin and cocaine came in. And it was everywhere. Cocaine was everywhere. And then they were like, oh, that's not so good. Let's use this much safer alternative, meth. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of funny from from our side being like, gosh, if we had just like blown up the meth factory, it might have won us the war a little quicker. That's actually, I actually didn't even think about that, but that's actually a really good point. I just said, taking like, out the, the gusto of right. fueling these people. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of, yeah, the more you know about your enemy, right? Like, yeah. You did you ever see Enigma, the movie about the the guys who were able to crack the German Enigma? No. Oh, they, they were able to figure out where all the, uh, the, what was it, where every attack was going to be, the English uh, uh, army had figured out, but they never told anybody. So they knew all these other attacks were going to happen, and they just wow. let it happen because if they had stopped one, they thought that the um, the German army would figure out that they had cracked the code. Yeah. And then all I kept thinking about when I was watching the movie is like, well, why didn't they just like, like you said, like take out the factory? Like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Let's just... Yeah. Destroy something before they right. can even get there. Right. Yeah. I haven't read many books lately. I usually have a problem. I start falling asleep. Yeah. I start uh, reading stories to my kids. I start reading. It's like, you know, oh, I red know. fish, blue fish, done. Totally. Me yeah. Too. Yep. Certainly, all means bad. Yeah. All right. Let's get all the hair off your face. Okay. Cool. So if somebody wants to be part of the rum gut, yeah. Uh, how do they find you? And I know you have a podcast too. Yep. So what is all that info? So rungalife.com. Okay. Business is called Runga, but someone's squatting on our domain name. So rungalife.com. Rungalife is also the Instagram. Okay. That would be that would be really the place to go. Podcast is called Intuitive Warrior. Intuitive Warrior. Now, is that linked onto like a to the Runga stuff or is that linked on your own it, It's beneath Runga now. So everything's moving over to Runga. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, my first, I still have an Instagram and stuff, but, um, Runga is the place to go. Everything is migrating over there. Okay. Uh, and my podcast is actually, I'm, it's still going. There's 230 episodes out there. Yeah. But I am considering pausing it and actually hosting an existing podcast that 
is um, I would be going in as a host for a different podcast. Okay. Which is uh, something I'm contemplating right now. Awesome. Which would be pretty neat, but TBD on that. But Runga has two podcasts actually. Okay. So we have Intuitive Warrior and then we have Heartful. So my wife's mindfulness podcast where she shares um, meditations and lessons in mindfulness and mindful living and conscious awareness. So, and then mine's more like health, fitness, cold immersion, breath work, kettlebells, yeah. interviews with, you know, major experts in the field around whether it's sleep or back pain or yeah. whatever it is. So but yeah, Runga Life and you can check out Momentum. That's our big program right now is our yeah. online coaching program. And then of course, check out the gatherings that we host. The next one's in October. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I guess we'll do this in five weeks. What's that? Well, I guess we'll, I'll see you in five weeks. Yeah, see you in five weeks. That sounds good, man. Thank you so much. Well, if you this, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll do a sequel. Yeah, cool. part two. All right, cool. Thanks. Later. Peace.